Hi everyone and welcome to the first episode of Black Woman's Hour. Uh, we decided to start this show because basically we wanted a safe space where conversations were actually being led by black women. So over the course of the series you will see that we have different guests. There will be male guests, there will sometimes be white guests. <laughs> God forbid. Um, <laughs> there will be white guests, there will be everybody. But what we want to do is to make sure that the conversations are led by black women. Um, the reason I decided to start doing this was because essentially over the past few years, we've seen the Trump era and we've seen what's happened over here. And basically I'm kind of tired of dishonest conversations in the media, like a lot of media pundits and stuff um, sort of thrive on intellectual dishonesty, making false equivalences. And what I found was on January the 7th of this year, when there was the insurrection in America on the Capitol building, I found that a lot of media people turned around afterwards and they were like, how could this have happened? Who could have done this? How could we have seen this coming? And like literally every black woman was like, yeah, I, I, I saw it, I saw it coming. Um, we have been saying it for years. And I do think that until the media is held to account, we're just gonna have to form our own because there's so much dishonesty in the media that when things like this happen, it's empowering certain sections of society. And I do believe that if we're not careful, things like that could happen here. So I'd like to now introduce my co-host, who you can see, which is Aisha Vignes Warren. Hi, Aisha. Hi there. Yes. How are you? Good, thank you. I liked your little intro there. I think it raised some valid points about why we need to be here. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. Um, we have had a lot of feedback for this first episode. Um, for this first episode, we are going to be discussing uh, the, the black community and the Jewish community. And we're going to be discussing it with people who sit on the intersection of both communities. Uh, I think basically in the last five years, there has been as I've said, I think Jeremy Corbyn leading the Labour Party brought the issue of anti-Semitism back to the forefront. Um, I didn't hear a lot about it in the media prior to that. And I do think we are going to try and focus on the UK because uh, that's where we're all based. But we will be speaking, you know, about the US because I do think we can draw some parallels between uh, the relationship between the black community and Jewish community in the US and here, and obviously uh, South Africa as well, because in these three places, when the two communities work together, we have done some great things like the Civil Rights Act in America, the Race Relations Act, and uh, South African, uh, white Jewish people in South Africa were vital to the struggle against apartheid. Our guest today will be a black Jewish woman. She is of Jamaican descent. And there are Jamaican black Jewish people. There is a thriving Jewish community in Jamaica. Um, and she'll tell you a little bit about that when she comes on. That will be Lara Munro. And we will also have the journalist Nadine Bachelor Hunt, who will also be joining us. So, yay. Look at that. Oh, that's her text. That's exciting. Okay, yes. So, um, I'm going to introduce Lara and just say a quick hello to her. Hi, Lara. How are you? Hi, everyone. Fine, thank you. Good to be here. Uh, you're not showing your face on uh, the video call today, but I just love <laughs> that silhouette. That is your your Twitter profile picture, isn't it? 
it is indeed a nice afro and uh, the hand of um, Hamza right in the middle of my heart. Oh, okay. I didn't even notice what. The, uh, okay, in the middle of the heart. Oh, I just saw the afro and I was mesmerised by that. Um, Lara, can we just ask you a little bit about your background? So, like I said, you are um, of Jamaican descent and you're Jewish. Because remember when we first started talking, I messaged you. I was like, I don't know that much about Jamaican, like you know, Jewish community. Like, are they like black people? How long it's been there? And you did give me some reading on it. But did you do you just want to briefly summarise for people? Who are watching yeah of course <laughs> you say briefly gosh it's a it's a bit of a history um because you're talking about um something that happened where the shared, the intersection of shared history happened with not not so much of a great twist for for both communities actually so um i mean the as i call it the jew making um community it was it came like as a it's true it came as a consequence of um the um, largest sephardic jews um being ex uh, expelled from spain and portugal in the late 1400s and then the english conquest clearly um that led to a quite a substantial jewish settlement that happened in jamaica which was encouraged by the offer of full rights and British citizenship in the colony. Um, and it's really, really key for people to understand that um, even though, um, as we call it, white presenting Jews um, were able to, to kind of um, thrive sometimes, it was always, they always had less rights than the people that existed in, in the countries. So they always had less rights than the English, always had less rights than the Spanish and the Portuguese. Um, so when that happened, um, quite a lot of um, Portuguese Sephardi, they, they followed from the Dutch colonies. And so like you've got really, really heavily Jewish names that exist in Jamaica, like Abrahams, Alexander, Isaacs, Levi, Lindo, Leon, Myers, which is actually um, my traditional name. Um, and even de, de Cordova. So and I'm sure people might prick up their ears there because we've actually got um, a shadow minister, Marsha, whose name is Marsha de, Cova, de Cordova. Sorry. Um, so it's a really, really knotted history. And um, I'm trying to explain this, this. I think this will lead into bits and pieces of our conversation and a certain name might come up in the conversation where we talk about um, plantation owners in Jamaica that did exist there. Um, and I'm sure you know who I'm talking about, Ava. Um, where, you know, there were some, some Jewish plantation owners. Can't get away from that. It wasn't a big, extensive lot. Clearly, still, the, the British actually kind of owned a lot of the slaves and the plantation owners. And even at that time, even though you had some Jewish plantation owners, they still didn't have full, um, full civil rights. It feels really weird to kind of talk about it because at the same time that they were trying to get more civil rights just to, just to live their lives, they were also, it's that dichotomy that they, that they also held plantations and therefore also had slaves. Really, really weird dichotomy. Something that sometimes I'm still wrestling with and sometimes I have to think about how I'm going to talk to Little Blue about and navigate how that works for us. 
I think that's just, it's not an uncommon problem though, um, because it was revealed that, you know, a lot of people didn't know that Native Americans also owned slaves. Um, yes. So there are different communities that have owned slaves. Um, a lot of Irish people get into arguments when you talk about slave owners and you talk about how they got to the Caribbean and they were like overseers. Do you know what I mean? So it's not unusual, do you know what I mean, for other people to be trying to establish their own rights and still crapping on black people, basically. I was going to say, and the biggest one, of course, is white women and black women and the that's the, the major dichotomy we see with that, that right. they were always campaigning for their rights while at the same time holding black people down. Exactly. It's huge, isn't it? Exactly. Absolutely. That kind of brings us to, um, you know, the first aspect of this conversation that we're going to have about an, a, an incident that happened recently on Radio 4's Woman, Woman's Hour. Um, so basically, we'll bring up their pictures now. Um, Woman's Hour is now presented by a lady called Emma Barnett, who um, I know through the Telegraph. She was an editor. She was a woman's editor of the Telegraph when I was writing there. And also um, a Nigerian uh, British actress called Kalechi. Um, who we know? I'll just call Kalechi because she's a bit like Cher, isn't she? <laughs> <It's called Madonna. laughs> Collect you, like you. We know who you is. Um, so, an incident happened on Women's Hour, and I'm just going to say the facts as I know it. So, basically, Kalechi was invited onto the show to do a talk about the Me Too movement, and she went onto the show, and it was sort of, um, yeah, we'll get to that part in a minute. So, basically, she was she was called on to speak about the Me Too movement. And while she was waiting in the background, um, the mics and cameras were off for all of the guests. And Kalechi, uh, the host Emma Barnett came in and she was doing what they do at the beginning of shows. They start speaking to their producers. They start trying to sort of say who's on the show. So she was handed the notes of who's on the show. She saw Kalechi's name. And basically um, this is where the story differs. Although there is, there is somebody who is, there was uh, somebody from End Violence Against Women who also made a statement, said it was unacceptable. So from what we hear, um, Emma Barnett had looked at this, she'd seen Kalechi's name and she started to say, why is this person on the show? This person has made anti-Semitic comments in the past. Um, I don't want this person on the show. And then she was speaking about Reggie Yates. Uh, she did put out a statement, which um, Aisha will read now. This is her explanation because Kalechi had gone onto Twitter and said, sorry, people, I was supposed to be on Women's Hour. I'm not going to be on Women's Hour anymore. Um, there were very unprofessional comments made and she kind of left it at that. She didn't go into what the comments made were. Um, and oh. soon after that, Emma Barnett released this statement. She said, um, just before I went on air this morning to present a special program about Me Too, pegged to the anniversary of Harvey Weinstein's court case, it came to my attention that one of our guests, Kalech Yokofor, had made alleged anti-Semitic remarks. I was also sent a press report of the transcript of what she had said on her podcast, supporting Reggie Yates's comments about Jewish male managers and profits. As Weinstein is also Jewish and was referenced as part of this same podcast I was discussing with my producers, the role of this guest in light of her allegedly anti-Semitic comments. 
Kalechi overheard that chat on our open Zoom link with two minutes to airtime. I then directly talked to Kalechi about the allegations, standing by my queries and said she could put her response across in the programme. She denied the allegations and hung up, choosing to no longer be part of the programme. I stand by my questions to my team and to Kalechi, and I would have happily had her on the programme with a question on this issue. I believe people can always answer for themselves, but equally, it is my duty to ask people what qualify them as a leading voice in this space and about any previous issues which may influence their views. Any guest is entitled to make their own decisions about whether to appear on a programme, but in the interests of fairness, I feel it's important to add some detail to the accounts that are currently circulating in the press and social media. Women's Hour is a wonderful platform known for its robust journalism and asking all of the questions that need asking. I am greatly enjoying my first week, Emma Barnett. Right, that was Emma Barnett's statement. Um, Kalechi, let me just explain first of all. Um, I did approach Kalechi and we did speak about her possibly coming on the show and she wasn't able to do so. She did agree to ask, answer some questions that were going to be put to her by myself and the guests that were going to be on the show and I was completely transparent and told her who they were. Um, Kalechi agreed to do this. I then did not send Kalechi any questions about the show um, simply because she was going, I could see from her Twitter, we follow each other, that she was going through quite a lot and I understand that when there is an incident like this, because this incident hit the press, it was in quite a few newspapers on quite a few websites, that she might have felt like she was under pressure. And um, I did see a couple of tweets from her, which I'll show you here. Yeah. Which uh, will come up. Sorry, they're in the wrong order. But she said, um, it's a shame you can't switch off DMs. I'm going back to ignoring them now. I'm choosing not to engage with them as a boundary for a reason. And somebody has suggested to her, like, you can only get DMs from people you follow. So she said, I already have that sorted. Thank you. I want to be able to switch off full stop. I don't even want DMs from people that I follow. Um, that was not aimed at me. I don't believe it was aimed at me. But as far as I'm concerned, when I see somebody saying stuff like that, and I was supposed to DM her, I wanted to DM her to say, I won't DM you. But then I realised that it was probably not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't I didn't want to. I didn't annoy her. I didn't want to upset her. And then the other thing I will say is that I didn't want um, to make this whole thing about her. Um, I didn't want to, you know, pin this whole anti-Semitism thing that it's only been an issue. Because what I had actually said when I initially had um, proposed this for um, an idea for the show, I'd said that there have been, you know, it can be quite strained. Um, the relationship between black and Jewish people, which I got a reaction from quite a few people. Some people liked that I said that, some people didn't like that I said that. It was mainly um, black people who weren't in the Jewish community who kind of had felt the same thing. And there were, some Jewish people were quite defensive about me saying that. Um, but as we spoke about it, they kind of understood what, why I framed it like that, where I said the relationship can be often can be quite fraught. Um, Kalechi did reply on her podcast, which I did listen to, and she had made some comments in support of what Reggie Yates has said. She wanted it known that she pulled the podcast down after a few days. Um, she was approached by the Jewish Chronicle, which she didn't feel comfortable speaking to. 
um, she said she had an issue speaking to the journalist who had approached her. I don't know anything about that relationship or what happened. What she did also say was that she had taken time to educate herself and unlearn um, some anti-Semitic preconceived ideas that she had. And later on, when there was uh, a scandal, which we'll get onto again, with another uh, prominent black person, um, the Grime star Wiley, she did come out on Dane Baptiste's um, uh, podcast and she did speak about that and she spoke about it on her own podcast. So she said that this, the original comments that were made were made in 2017 and that it's nothing that how she feels now and she has basically put some work into it. Um, and the other thing that she did say, which was the next, um, this was just what she said about healing. And this really struck me as well, which is another reason why I didn't, I don't want to, um, you know, pursue her or harass her in any kind of way. And this is something I know. I mean, I've done this on a personal level and, you know, against groups and in the past myself, I've said stuff that turns out to be pretty ignorant. Sometimes when you're not of a group, you say stuff, you don't even understand why it's offensive. Um, what she did say is growth isn't fun. People like to talk about healing, but people don't want to talk about the messy work of healing, the soul harrowing work of healing, where you have to let your e ego crumble so the new you can emerge, um, which I totally agree with. I understand exactly what she is saying. So therefore I'm gonna pretty much leave it there. Um, in respect of Kalechi. Oh, our other guest has joined us. Can we just say hello? Can, uh, Nadine, are you there? Yeah, hiya. Hi, how are you doing? Yeah, yeah, sorry about, sorry about being no, late. No, it's all right. I know that you had um, like a family issue. Uh, yeah, yeah, it should, hopefully she'll be okay. We've got some plans moving forward, but yeah, sorry, uh, sorry. So Nadine's who I told you about at the beginning. She is a, a journalist. Um, she speaks quite a lot on social media about black issues and uh, Jewish issues as well. Um, the other person that I did mention is this guy here. <laughs> this guy. Is Wiley. Wiley. Wiley Hi. is a grime artist um, who is referred to often as the godfather of grime. And last year he was, was it last year? I don't know what year is it anymore. I the year before yeah. last, maybe, because last year wasn't a year. No, it was it? last year. It was the definitely last year. Last year. Yeah, yeah. It must have been. I don't know. I can't even remember when it was, because I remember Wiley had made some comments um, about, I mean, Wiley went on and on and on on his, um, his Twitter page and made comments about Jewish people. He was focused on basically Jewish music managers and the issues that he had. And essentially he had a Jewish manager at the time. And he made these comments that um, I don't agree with at all. He made some sweeping generalizations. Uh, I was actually called onto Sky News and I was supposed to do an interview alongside Wiley about this. Um, unfortunately, when it went to air, they literally cut me down to about 30 seconds. Um, so I'd made some points um, and one of the points that I had made was really and truly the people they should be speaking to at this point um, should be people of both black and Jewish heritage. Um, they should be the ones leading this conversation because they are the people who are in the best position to do so, uh, which is what we're doing today. So we have got Lara and we have got Nadine. 
I will just say as well, Wiley does have a new album coming out, which is uh, here. It's coming up here. There we go. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there there was is. an article. Oh, we can't see it. We're still on Wiley's face. What's it called? Redemption It should song. come up. I have switched. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh here we go. Wiley's Are you there? Sorry, it's taking its Wiley's time. Wiley's new album is called Anti-Systemic. And there's an article saying, after seeding new music previews onto various social media platforms, I, I don't know how, I thought all these platforms were gone. Um, I think Wiley it's revealed that kind of not confirmed it's him, but it's obviously him, this Wiley CEO, CE0. Right, okay. So he has got a new one. Um, so Wiley has revealed the name of his new album. It's titled Anti-Systemic. And the title makes reference to the artist's past controversies. Um, there's no confirmed release date yet. I did see that account that you're talking about. Nadine, are you going to put your camera on? Oh, or... uh, yeah. I, I look. I look a bit of a mess. Oh, <laughs> fine. No but um, but so I, I was. I was going to put loads of makeup on and everything, and then all no, this about my granddad and my nan. Um, but yeah. So basically, this Wiley thing. Because I don't know if you remember, but Wiley told me that I wasn't black when I called him out last year when he was going off on his rant about Jews. I said to him, you know, I think he tweeted saying um, Jews don't care about black people. And I was like, well, I'm black and Jewish and like, that's nonsense. I, I won't use the language that I use. But anyway, he's responded saying that I wasn't really black. And like, so to see him come back, like, so he's like a troll. He's like returned. And this time he's going to play on words on anti-Semitic by being anti-systemic. And it's just like you've had like six seven months to kind of reflect on your behavior and this is what you come back with anti-systemic really I, I did like somebody underneath it had put um hi Wiley it was a black person and they just tweeted like hi this ain't it and it said with the greatest of respect what are you doing and I did like the tweet underneath it, it just said um if anybody has told you this is a good idea they don't love you and they don't care about you. Because <laughs> you had to think. So for those people who are not in the know, Wiley had gone on this anti-Semitic rant. And as a result of this rant, he had his Twitter removed. Uh, Instagram as well? Yeah, and YouTube, I think. YouTube was removed as well. And music off um, Apple, Apple Music was it as well? iTunes, I think? He had his music taken off some platforms. I don't know which ones, but that was part of the, yeah. Right, so Wiley was removed from anywhere. Every, anywhere, everywhere. So, okay, I'm going to put this um, for you, uh, Nadine and Lara, this question. Um, basically, the problem that a lot of young black people, younger black people, oh, not just younger black people, like problems a section of the black community had with the, the reaction to Wiley was that he did this once and he was just completely removed from everything. He wasn't given a chance to really say sorry. Um, he wasn't given a chance to say, well, I didn't mean that or explain himself. I mean, as far as people were concerned, it, a lot of black people had thought, if you are going to do this to Wiley, then what about all the people who for years have been saying very, very racist, anti-black stuff on all these same types of platforms? It took years for David Vance to be taken off Twitter, it took years for Katie Hopkins. You still have people who are on Twitter, who are on um, Facebook, who record YouTube videos, who are saying stuff. Why do you think the reaction to Wiley was so fast and so, so you know, 
completely, you know, it was almost like it just smoked the whole thing clean. Why do you think that was? Nadine? Or do you want me to start? Yeah. Like, um, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to say right straight out, it is because he's black at the end of the day. Um, let's not make no bones about it. There is, there is an element about him being black, a young black guy. Well, not so young, actually. That's a lie. Um, <laughs> I do um, love when Stormzy tweets, you're 40, man. You're 40. Yeah. Yeah. Call him uncle. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there may, be, there may have been an element in terms of them thinking, right, um, you know, you're, you're a black person. You're from another ethnic minority. You're from a, a minority that always gets kind of the, the sh sorry the, the shite um so why why are you saying this why are you behaving like this surely you should have some some affinity now the thing is is um what they they refuse to also bear in mind is culturally when we're in situations where you know we do something wrong etc and someone piles onto you um there's that fight or flight thing and usually what we try to do is fight. And that's what I found that most of his responses were about. It was about digging in deeper um, and kind of showing that he was right. Um, I think there's another element of it that I won't go into to here. Um, it felt really um, uncomfortable for me in this regard because, um, and it felt a bit personal actually because um, we Wiley and I are grew up in similar circles um, way back when. So I know kind of some of the things that he's had to go through when he was younger, and um, particularly dealing with with white people, and particularly coming up through a very very kind of white dominated industry, and how that can how that can feel. However, what he said was anti-Semitic. He did he did dig down in deeper into it it kind of felt like he was going off on his manager um which you know might be connected to you know when we come onto the reggie eights thing and the caliche thing um but the one thing that i felt wasn't there was a bit of understanding about how black communities work now when when one of us does something our friends take us aside and call us in if you're not our friend, if you're from another community, you cannot do that. You cannot then start schooling us. It doesn't work like that. He would have had to be schooled by his own. And it was actually quite a relief. I saw that, I'm, I'm not on Clubhouse, I was just reading the tweets, that he may have been in a Clubhouse room and he may have, you know, yeah, just kind of was, just was, been yeah. a bit on a, you know, had a bit of heart in the sleeve about the situation. And people were actually saying that he was starting to kind of unpack with them the actual situation. That's how that's how the black communities work. Okay, it doesn't work by you being a non-black and trying to tell us what to do, how to do it, how to respond, how to apologise, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think that was missing from the dialogue, <laughs> well, whatever dialogue that could happen on Twitter that time. Aside from that. It, like I'm sorry he was, he was a bit of a Shonda in terms of like what he said and it was pretty disgusting I was really really upset with how other black people responded to him in terms of supporting him 
um, instead of just kind of saying, actually, do you know what, fam, you are not right at the moment. So do you know what, step off, step back. I mean, I got bored of reading it, to be honest. Uh, there was a lot of it, but I, I saw a few saying to him, step back and can you stop doing it? And there's people that knew him um, who also said that they reached out to him privately and said, stop it. But one thing which I tried to explain to Sky News, which people haven't taken into account when it comes to, comes to Wiley, who is not somebody I know, we do not move in the same circles. I don't, you know, um, I don't really even know much about his music. I know a couple of songs, but what I had also said is Wiley is known for doing these rants on Twitter. Like Wiley will go on Twitter and this time it was about Jewish people, but he has ranted and ranted and ranted. So when like black people, like when he was coming up and he was trending, a lot of people were like, oh my God, what's Wiley doing? And some black people were like, it's another day that ends in Y. Do you know what I mean? So they kind of- Yeah, no, definitely. It. And we're that's not- a bit like that's a bit like how I felt. I saw it and I was just like, that's how I was like. Week with him oh. just going off on Stormzy for no reason and just like taking the mitt, like, taking yeah. the And I thought like part of it was just, and I think this was what I struggled to try and get through to people because I was really angry with what he was doing, but it was also like a piss take. And it was yeah. in a way that it was, it's hard to, I feel like black people understand what I mean when, when you see what he's doing, he's doing it as, as, as a, doing it to take the piss. But the problem is, is that, it's actually having real material harm. It's not like, you know, going on Twitter and taking the piss out of Stormzy all day and like challenging to a, you know, to, um, to some grind battles or whatever. This has like oh. a real material impact on a whole community that's already had a lot of, you know, a lot of shit over the last um, few years because of what's gone on in politics. So it was just, and I felt like that was difficult to communicate. On one hand, it's like he's being a wind-up merchant, like he's exactly. doing it to get a reaction. But on the other hand, like this is actually really damaging what he's doing. And it was hard to try and communicate that to people, I think. Nadine, you brought up earlier, yes. you had exchanged a couple of tweets. You told him you were black, and you're both black and Jewish. And what happened to you as a result of that? Yeah, so basically, sorry, if you can hear the dog barking in the background, my dog's just really annoying at the moment. Um, so basically, uh, he was tweeting all this nonsense right, for like hours and hours yeah. and hours. And I just started, because I could tell that people didn't really know what to do, particularly like fellow Jews. They were like, well, how do we even approach this? You know, what, what do we say? So I was just responding to everything, being like, this is nonsense. This is, this is a lie, whatever. And then um, he, tweet, he tweeted something like, Jews don't care about black people. And like, uh, me, Laura and I can tell you there is anti-blackness in the Jewish community. Like, it is an issue. And, and like, I've spoken openly about it. I've written about it. But the idea to say all Jews don't care about black people just isn't true. Um, and so I just basically said to him, you know, that's nonsense. And then he responded saying, you aren't really black. And then he followed me. And then I was like, right, if he's following me, then I'll inbox him. Then I inboxed him and was like, yo, like, you say, why, why are you just... Like, I basically why are you chatting shit like why why are you posting all this stuff like it's just really really harmful and it's just harmful black communities and Jewish communities it you know Jews and black people aren't enemies if anything we need to be together because white supremacy is a growing threat and he just didn't respond and then he started posting about how Jewish people were cowards and I was like well it's funny how you're saying that we're cowards when you won't even respond to an inbox but you're following me and you're giving it large and then you won't even respond to an inbox so when it came to what with what while he was doing I think in the, and initially when it started it was like oh god what is he doing like if he thinks this is a joke and he thinks it's like a harmless bit of banter or whatever like it's, it's not and then he just doubled down and it, we have to remember it went on for like two or three days by the end it was just there was just so much of it and i think he ended up sharing things like uh, far-right conspiracies about jews and the slave trade and he started doing stuff. all the high tips stuff 
which yeah, is another yeah. annoying thing about this. Yeah, and I think it just it turned into this kind of timeline of just conspiratorial nonsense. And um, and I also think the fact that he was sharing some stuff that white supremacists share also demonstrated the importance of education when it comes to you know white supremacy and black people and Jewish people supporting each other and standing together because. I, I, as I said to Ava before this, I think I said, um, you know, neo Nazis seeing this kind of stuff will love it. You know, seeing a black guy, a very well known black guy, attacking loads of Jewish people online and sharing some content that neo Nazis share, it's exactly what they want to see. Do you know what I mean? That's, exact, that's right up their street. They want to cause division. So it was just very stressful. I think it did, it came to the point, um, like Lara said, where I think I agree with you, Nadine, at the beginning, he was just trying to do his normal stuff that he always does about Stormzy, about chip about all these other artists and he was doing it in the same vein then he got annoyed when people were trying to tell him then he dug his heels in then mm -hmm. he started trying to find stuff to support himself and to be quite did he sleep in that three days that's what I was thinking. I was like, like you're gonna eat or me? something come on order some Nando's and just chill <laughs> out like <laughs> come on this guy's what is he doing and I go on sorry I think that was kind of the, one of the most concerning bits about it as well. Like, I feel like he had opportunities to, because on one hand, I understand, you know, he could have doubled down because he felt like he was being attacked. And the, there is the argument, you know, white people aren't treated like that if they go off on an anti-Semitic tirade or whatever. You know, they're given the benefit of the doubt or they're just let off with it. And I see it all the time um, with public figures, the way that a lot of senior conservatives are just let off the hook regularly about stuff. Oh. But I think it got to a point when it was like two or three days deep and on one hand, I was like, you know, white people aren't treated like this. On the other hand, I'm like, he knows better. Like, he knows what he's doing. And I, and I just... So, yeah, I felt very conflicted about the whole thing. And there was defo, definitely elements to it because, you know, as a black guy, he was treated more aggressively when it came to, like, clamping down on it than a lot of white people are. But on the flip side, like, he was doing it for, like, three days. Like, like as you say, like, he didn't even stop to eat, I don't think. I, I know, right? I was just like, what the hell? Um, so we can move on <laughs> from Wiley, really. Um, because I don't want to make it about the to, about particular individuals in the Black community. Um, I would like to just ask you, because, Nadine, you just brought up feeling conflicted. Um, do, you, do you often feel like that? Yeah, so... One of the different, one of the most difficult things for me is that, okay, I don't want to bring up like labor and semitism, all that kind of stuff, but to give you an example, there are people that are, you know, um, it, it may be in the Labour Party, very strongly anti-racist, very good on black issues, but then you'll see that they're kind of a bit crap when it comes to anti-semitism. So they won't call out anti-semitism when they see it. They didn't necessarily support Jewish people that were getting a lot of, um, a lot of shit in the party from like we like weirdos that recently um, chased me off Twitter because of something that I said about Jeremy Corbyn. So that kind that kind of that that conf that level of feeling conflicted kind of manifested a lot there because you find people that may be very good on anti-black issue like t talking out on anti-blackness and being there for black people, and then they don't do the same for Jewish or vice versa. You know, you have loads of people that are really good at speaking out on anti-Semitism. You know, we'll go on TV and defend it. Like senior Tories, I wouldn't say they're good on anti-Semitism because they weaponize it, but they talk the talk. You know, they'll say, oh, anti-Semitism in Labour is a scourge whilst trying to cover up the Windrush report. So you just feel like you kind of see through the fake solidarity and the fake anti-racism a lot of the time. And it can kind of make you feel like you're going a bit mad. And that, yeah, it's hard to explain. Laura probably understands it as what I'm saying as well. Do like, you feel conflicted, Lara, often? Oh my God, yeah. 
absolutely that's how and, i found uh, you isn't it because i found yeah uh, you came up in my mentioned all we were tagged into the same tweet and i just i liked your afro and i saw your pin tweet i was like oh hey i like your writing because it had been the first and that's how we got talking as we said and you were telling me about the um, jamaican jewish community and stuff and i said to, you had something it was like um racism to the right of me or anti-semitism to my yeah. left and yeah, so it was, yeah, it was anti-Semitism, anti-Semitism to the left of me, Windrush to the right of me. Yes, and then um, I'm stuck in the middle in, like, had the Yeah, I'm stuck in the middle with all of them, yeah. yeah. <laughs> had that song going round in my head, and I was like, oh, this is really, really interesting. Um, so, yeah, so you you felt the conflict as well. Absolutely, and um, so, so I'm not going to repeat what, what Nadine said because I 100% agree with that for me there's an element about I'm raising a young black Jewish boy how is he going to not even fit in because he shouldn't be fitting in but how is he going to be in community both with his Jewish community but also with the black community but over and above that which I think also comes up when we see these conversations and discussions even in terms of Wiley's response to Nadine is the fact that on the one hand the black community doesn't even acknowledge sometimes or realize that there's black Jews and if they do know that there's black Jews they often refer to um, the Ethiopian Jews or they think about the black Jews in America not necessarily black British Jews here and then the on, on the other side, you've got the Jewish community, the predominantly kind of white Jewish community, who don't often realise that there are black Jews or Jews of colour, or they do know, but they just kind of a bit ignorant about it. Well, don't um, know. And I, yeah. One thing I, <laughs> I saw, because I do follow you both, which I saw from, I mean, the last five years, particularly, you know, 2017, 2019, with the elections, um, I, I saw a lot of online arguments and I had a lot of people trying to drag me into online arguments and stuff. And uh, one of the things that I did see was whenever there was a Jew of color or a black Jew, um, there's a certain section of Twitter who we all know who they are, we're not gonna name them. Um, we're either all blocked or they've blocked us or whatever. But there was a certain section of Twitter who were very aggressive. And can I also say, when we speak about weaponizing, half these people were not Jewish by the way. Um, so there was a certain section and when black Jews would try and come on and say, hold on a second and try and say something, they start demanding to know when they had their bar or bat mitzvah. Yeah. They wanted to know which shul they went to. They wanted to prove. They started asking them all these sort of Yiddish phrases, Hebrew I phrases. I got stalked and had to um, call the police because they started posting information about my Jewish background online without my permission. And yeah. I ended up having to meet the, um, meet the police and my rabbi, who was absolutely furious, because this, this is the issue as well. Like, the, the anti-blackness in the Jewish community when it comes to black people speaking up about racism is really severe as well, which kind of, yeah, it's, it's horrible. And I, th I think, Lara, you've been through something similar as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. In terms of just even just trying to kind of question, question things, um, whereas they would never try and do that um with what who they would see as looks really jewish um i.e non-black and quite a few of these um characters 
and not even Jewish. Yeah. What, I'm, what I'm really, really hating is the fact that quite a majority in the Jewish community who are online and are in institutions as well, the mainstream institutions, they know these characters are not Jewish. It's because, though, that these characters have supported the, uh, the issues around um, anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. Therefore, there are allies and friends, and therefore, we're not going to really say anything about them. But they're willing to throw Black Jews like Nadine and I under the bus for them. That says a lot to me, and that's why I recently wrote a piece saying, is... Is my, is my son going to be safe in the Jewish community if that is how you're going to behave? Similarly, I also have to say some things in relation to in the black community. And it was really interesting with recent Black History Month, actually. I was approached a lot more by, um, by white Jewish people who wanted to do things around um, being black and Jewish in the history for Black History Month than I was from black organizations or people who wanted to do even just even connect with black Jewish people around black history month that says a lot that also says that in the black community we're still not quite there in terms of recognizing acknowledging and bringing black Jewish people into the fold if you like um and I, I don't know about you Nadine but I, I know sometimes when I do say to to black people I'm, I'm sitting there I'm, we're having a conversation I'm listening sometimes they kind of allude to to some conspiracy theories and things like that and then I have yeah. to say oh yeah I'm <laughs> oh yeah I'm black and Jewish by the way and they're the, the uh, look of shock on their face it's like ah uh, I think that's the problem though because I think that is exactly what you say we all know black Muslims exist they have uh -huh. a much higher profile it's interesting what you say that um sort of black Muslims are known to exist they have the same sort of issues within their community uh, anti-blackness within in their own communities and stuff but i think it's just because they're more prominent and we all know about mm. them that's the difference um, i mean i'm part jamaican and had no idea about jamaican jews but i recognize the names i've been really grateful to find that out Lara. but yeah i recognize the names my grandma's yeah. my mum's fully jamaican we have a lot of links to the island and um, recognize names. We're related to some Myers, I think. Yeah, but, um, yeah, yeah. Had had no idea actually about that history. So I think your point about education is definitely a valid one. So I think people and, and genuinely don't know. And visibility, and thing, yeah. Yeah, and, and the thing and the thing is, it's like if you if you talk to Ainsley, who's who's kind of the most prominent figure, prominent Jewish figure in Jamaica. Like if you didn't see his face, you just heard him. He sounds like your Jewish. He sounds like your Jamaican granddad, because clearly for Jamaica, you know, we've got that one motto: out of many, one people. And yeah. sometimes we kind of forget that as a black community as well, like as a black diaspora. Yes. Out of many, we are we are one people, but you also have to recognise that. And it's for me, it's really interesting because even though people, I guess, kind of um, move towards. Um, more acceptance about black Muslims actually Africa has been historically rich with Jewish presence like you can like the Igbo Jews of, of Nigeria the Lemba people of um, Zimbabwe um, and South Africa you know they're there that the Jews in Ghana like um, there's a guy on Twitter um, who follows me Michael Lamote um, black Ghanaian Jew he 
is absolutely fantastic, amazing. I think he's a lay leader at one of the um, synagogues. And the thing is, it's like, if, you know, if you were to approach him, you'd never know his Jewish. Because clearly people are just looking for things that determine someone's Jewish. My guy, can we start? Yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah, and so Easter. proud of it. I thought, oh. no, it's because um, until we started to say that we we're going to do this subject, he threw me an email and he'd emailed me a couple of years ago. And his lovely daughter, daughter number one, had um, helped me to raise some money for Dominica for her, after the effects of Hurricane Maria. So I assumed mm. that he was of Dominican heritage. I didn't even know who's Ghanaian. So, hi, Michael. Thank you for hooking up loads of stuff. And we, we love you. Thank you. So, <laughs> I'd add that. I will move on a little bit just to say, because um, we have got quite a lot of questions and stuff to go through that people did send in. But one thing that has worried me and the reason why I think I want you to have this conversation is I'm learning and learning all the time about the Jewish community. Like I said, Lara's taught me a lot. I follow Nadine, I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot from different Jewish friends. I found in the last five years with uh, Jeremy Corbyn's leadership, However you want to talk about how we got there, there was some serious division going on. And I personally, in the 2019, have a very, um, I have a Jewish friend. Um, we, we were close, we got on, we spoke a lot about loads of different issues. And that election tore the friendship apart, absolutely tore the friendship apart. And it wasn't even a case of me saying, um, you know, it wasn't like, oh, I'm not talking to you because you're voting for Corbyn or whatever. It was the way she was promoting Boris Johnson. And my point was, if you're trying to tell me that you, I, I can't see it myself, but I did grow to understand it through conversations, um, that you are scared of Jeremy Corbyn. We are equally scared of, Joy, of Joris Bonson. What was <laughs> <laughs> Boris Johnson. That's, that's like, a nice name for him. Scared, I know, right? There's like, so many more things like a <laughs> <laughs> so we really did find ourselves at an impasse and it did get to the point where it was like literally during this election I cannot speak to you I cannot talk to you and going forward from that election whatever happened happened we're back friends again fine whatever we have had some serious conversations about it and while why the you know why the friendship fell apart and stuff and why I think we initiated this conversation was because we were both terrified um during lockdown last year people will have seen um during the black lives matter protests that were going on all over the world there were um some people who were marching through the capital white supremacists were marching through the capital and what i noticed about it was why i reached out to her was they were alternating between monkey chants and and nazi salutes and as i saw these people going through london like you know which is supposed to be the most multicultural city on earth a massive massive melting pot i thought my god how must it feel for jewish people to be looking on their tv screens right now and seeing nazi salutes and how must their grandparents feel some of their grandparents who still got tattoos on their arms from concentration camps they must feel absolutely terrified and disappointed and hurt and angry um that something they thought they'd got away from, something they thought that their grandchildren wouldn't have to face, 
that they're facing as well. And it's, and black people feel the same going through generations. You're like monkey chance again, really? Like our kids have to see that stuff. And I noticed that and also recently with the insurrection in America. Now they claim that was about a stolen election, um, but why were they wearing t-shirts? It was really offensive t-shirts saying six million was not enough, Camp Auschwitz. And then they had, um, you know, then they were outside having a protest, chanting F Black Lives Matter. Yeah. I was like, how did your stolen election become about black people and Jewish people? We were no way around there. We had nothing to do with you. And what it always does come back to is, it comes to white supremacy. It comes to when they are attacking people, they are attacking black, they will attack both of us. So mm -hmm. as white supremacy is growing across the globe as well, and it's becoming more and more prominent and they're getting braver and braver and they've been empowered by people like Trump, empowered by people like Boris Johnson, what are we gonna do as the black community and the Jewish community together? Because I do believe that the stereotypes that we have, it's like what Lara said earlier, the reactions to Wiley were rooted in anti-blackness. And I did start to see after the Wiley situation, a lot of people talking about black anti-Semitism. What the hell's black anti-Semitism? What are you talking about? Anti-Semitism is anti-Semitism at the end of the day. Why are you labeling it? I mean, so that's why I wanted to have this conversation to say, okay, whatever's happened in the past, going forward, because there, in New York, there was um, a Jewish school, a private Jewish school. They basically went through, they hacked into the school. They got the parents' names, their numbers. They got their addresses, their car license plates, and they put them on, on the web. And white supremacy will destroy both of these communities if we don't wake up. I mean... I mean, yeah. Sorry, Laura, were you saying something? Can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. Sorry. Um, so I think there's, there's a couple of things that we just have to break down. And that is um, America is a different place from, from Britain. And what we haven't done here yet is unpack what white supremacy means here and what it means for black and Jewish communities going forward together and what we have to do together. Um, it was, it's interesting that, that you say that, um, you know, the day it happened, actually, a Jewish man and a black man were elected um, as senators in Georgia. That's not happened before. Um, that was quite that was quite a victory, and that victory was led by quite a dynamic black woman. Um, so, in a way, then when I saw um, the images of a lot of the kind of Nazi imagery, etc., that felt quite like a flow-on for me um, in terms of it and part of the response. It may it may not have been part of the response, but I felt that it was quite symbolic that that very morning we were celebrating a Jewish black kind of unified ticket. And then later on, we had quite a few Nazis there. In terms of um, black and Jewish communities here, I think what we do is we, we tend to kind of like go back to, well, you know, Martin Luther King, clearly it's Martin Luther King Day um, on Monday, um, and Herschel, as if they're the pinnacle of 
solidarity and unity between black and Jewish communities. That was, that was a time that happened. What we can't do from that is say, well, that happened, so therefore the work's done. We've got to do that each individually within ourselves in relation to being Herschel within ourselves and Martin, and I'd say Malcolm as well, if I'm honest with you, within ourselves. Always Malcolm. <laughs> yeah, do you know what, if you want to be an active, if you want to be real, because at the end of the day, sometimes this is about having real conversations as well as aspirational and hopeful conversations. Um, I think and it's also about understanding each other's histories. We don't do, we haven't done that yet. We have, we do not understand, do, white Jewish people don't understand black British history and black Britons don't understand white Jewish history, particularly here in Britain. It's a very, very understated history. And when you look back on it, you'd be able to understand some of the anti-Semitic tropes that arose and why they rose because of that. I also think that there's a broader issue with understanding Jewish history more generally as well. Like the way that Europeans talk about Jew uh, Jewish history tends to just be through the lens of the Holocaust. Like we don't speak much about the um, the, the Jewish expulsions from Arab countries in the 70s uh, and the 80s. We don't talk about um, the evacuation of Beta Israel from Ethiopia. And we don't talk about the quite literally millennia of um, Jewish persecution on the continent. That was kind of the 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 forefather of white supremacy. I mean, I was looking at, um, I was just looking at the Black Death, reading about Black Death a few weeks ago, because um, looking at like plagues and things like that. And enjoying the Black Death in the 1300s, the white Christians blamed the Jews for the, for the, um, the plague. And there were, there, it was basically genocided communities, like whole communities were killed. Um, the Jews were blamed for spreading, blamed for uh, poisoning wells. They were saying they were poisoning wells with the, uh, with, um, the plague, etc. And that is something that, you know, racism on the continent, on Europe, prior to colonisation, a lot of it focused around Jews. And then obviously colonisation came and then the idea of whiteness and blackness was kind of invented to separate, you know, white colonisers from black, black colonised and, and that started introduced. But Jews were never included within that understanding of whiteness, which is why white supremacists don't see Jews as white, because Jews were always seen as an ethnic other. And I think also understanding the way in which Jewish people have been treated as an ethnic other, but also contemporary um, Ashkenazi, Ashkenazi understanding that the fact they have white skin also provides them with some level of privilege. Just understanding the complexities of Jewish identity, anti-Semitism, how it's manifested itself, why Jews are so scared when any anti-Semitism rises its head anywhere. You know, there's a lot of sayings about how a lot of Jewish people um, who's, their parents who survived Auschwitz will say always keep a packed suitcase by the door. And I think I remember speaking to somebody else who was I think it was on the phone last year when I was covering Jamaican deportations and someone in her family had been threatened to be deported during the Windrush and her, her husband was in um, a detention centre and, um, and she said her, her uh, family member keeps a, door, a, a suitcase packed in case she gets deported by the Home Office, right? There's so many things that overlap and there's so much history we just don't understand about one another and that's why I think understanding the roots of white supremacy come from understanding the black the racism towards black people and the black experience and also fully understanding racism towards jewish people and the jewish experience and i think that's going to be a fundamental part of kind of creating solidarity and also understanding one another and moving forward with there's definitely some overlap um yeah. like you say because there's another thing that we have in common um is hoarding paperwork 
like a lot of young black people go, God, mum, dad, or granddad, can you throw this stuff away? And they keep hold of everything because they're never sure when we're going to be removed and whenever we're going to be wind out. But I think exactly what it was, like it was thrown away paperwork. Mm. And then you would have aunties and uncles in the Caribbean community going, we told you don't throw stuff away. This is exactly why. Mm -hmm. And a lot of um, black Caribbean people came over here with the idea, one day they're going to take this away from us and they're going to throw us. And, you know, they will tentatively put down roots of their children and stuff. But we're always telling us these people will dash you out their country as soon as you get the chance. And I think that was also what was running alongside um, the 2000 a 19 election more so than 2017 yeah. was Jewish people going we're gonna have to leave the country if Jeremy Corbyn gets in and black people going we are currently being thrown out why yeah. are you not listening why are you not watching like your fear is our some people thought their fear is our reality and stuff but I think what I want to do now because we have um a little bit of time left together okay, Ava, Ava um, can I just come back on that because we've got questions which are going to raise these things again so I didn't oh, okay reporting oh, uh, going through it again and again. Go on, Lara. Quick. What were you going to say? <clears throat> no, I was just. I was just going to say the the other aspect to that about you know suitcases at the door, um, etc. Is um, was the kind of lack of understanding about you know pe people who were saying that if Jeremy Corbyn got in, it's going to be bad, but not being able to articulate what policies or laws were going to come in that were going to be anti-Semitic to actually be enforced that would be bad for the Jewish population whereas on the other hand black people were kind of saying well do you know what we're already living with the laws that are already mm -hmm. kind of racist to us and that lack of understanding was really really unhelpful and then Sorry, just, you to out, just to say as well there were prominent politicians there were prominent um uh, columnists people like Dan Hodges I think, I can't remember, I could be wrong. It might, I won't even say the politicians today because you know what they're like. Uh, it was a Tory who basically said, if Jeremy Corbyn gets back in, there's going to be another Auschwitz. Now, I was trying right. to, my friend's parents Analyst. believed that. And they believed yeah. that. And also what people didn't understand is, I was trying to explain, we have to sort of talk about this to say this isn't true because if you are going to your synagogue if you are reading jewish press if you're seeing that and every source that you trust is telling you jeremy corbyn is going to do this is your enemy and stuff why wouldn't they believe it i think one of the reasons it was so successful as well is there is this kind of primordial fear in the Jewish community because I mean, if, even if you look at Jewish, if you just Google Jewish expulsions over the last 2000 years, you will be horrified. Like Jews consistently have been moved from country to country. I did, yeah. And I think mm. that is one of the reasons, I think that's why it was so immoral when, you know, there were some people who were clearly just seeing it as an opportunity to scare Jewish people from a political perspective. There is this really deep fear that Jews will, when, when, you'll never, safe in the country you're in you will get turfed out because history has shown that jewish people every single country they've ever settled in they've been turfed out of like in 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 the middle east in, in africa in europe everywhere so there's this fear that you know we, we're not safe we're going to be turfed out so if you start having this fever pitch of there's anti-semitism and then it wasn't dealt with and then it kind of escalates and then people who've whose parents survived the camps and who have always said to them you know be careful be aware and there's also this thing of inherited trauma as well within the Jewish yeah. community, um, particularly post-Holocaust, but also just after millennia of, of, of violent anti-Semitism, that it was very, the Jewish community is a very fearful community and it had to be to survive. So I think that's another one of the reasons why it was so emotional. And, you know, 
within the Jewish community, what was happening during the uh, anti-Semitism in Labour, families were torn apart, like, I know friends whose families borderline disowned them for voting for Labour because they were so scared about what Labour was going to do. So the, the, the damage that was inflicted within the Jewish community just really hasn't been spoken about. And it is, it is really traumatic. Like, I was at, I've been at parties and I've uh, I, I think last a year and a half ago, I was at a Hanukkah party, well, just under a year and a half ago, and I'd written an article in The Guardian saying about why I was going to vote Labour. And, um, and then someone came up to me and was like, oh, you were the one that wrote that. And luckily my ex was like, listen, she's black and Jewish and she's been through a lot and this is why she's written this and this is from her perspective. But the, it was such a, a controversial issue within the Jewish community. And if you were black and Jewish in the community, I mean, Laura can testify to it as well. It was horrendous. So we talk a lot about, you know, the media frenzy, but the way in which Jewish fear was either ignored or manipulated during the whole thing, it, yeah. it, it, it was just really traumatic. It was just I really, get, really traumatic. I, but, but you know what? I get, I get that. I get, I get the fear, and I get because at the end of the day, historically, Jews have always been expendable. Mm. Black people have always been very expendable. Um, mm -hmm. To 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 the point of you know people will compare death of um, Jews within the Holocaust within the death of um, black people in terms of the transatlantic slave trade like you know um, but there is there is something in terms of to say the Jewish community have always been quite resilient so wherever they landed they've been able to thrive that's not been necessarily so been for black people and I think sometimes that's what I want my my fellow Jews to actually understand that in a way the kind of opportunities and privileges that they have when they've got white presenting skin is not afforded mm. to black people in the same context it's not that we haven't just been able to thrive it's, it's that undergoing systemic racism that we continue to face that always happens that they're not exposed to that so there is this quite a lot, that, um, you know, coming up comments and questions. So if we go to them, like some of what we're speaking about right now did come up. There were um, Aisha, what was the which one? The, um, the questions basically. There was um, there was some, the top? yeah, just some comments. Like um, the first one was from Lorette. Yeah, so, yeah. So we start off with. Um, a comment from Lorraine, it says, my best friend is a white Jewish woman and we fight racism together, which is nice and lovely, but obviously, you know, we've talked about the nuance. It isn't always that straightforward. Um, from Denise, she said, happily not my experience. My Jamaican and Jewish family are very happy with each other. They live near Stamford Hill and get on fine. Um, but she does see the wider issues outside of her day-to-day -day life. Um, she says it puzzles her, but maybe the Jewish people that she knows know their history, which is, you know, alludes to what you guys are talking about, about the understanding. Um, Shanice says the relationship between blacks and Jewish people has also been one of solidarity, if you know where to look. And then she puts brackets, clue, the grassroots, which I think is an interesting point. Um, um, yeah, if you before wanna... we read out the next one. Um, so what I basically, as I said, I'd said that the relationship between us was often fraught and this woman Nina who I work with um, on, in other areas of comedy and stuff like that had me and her had quite a long conversation so I might interject a couple of times because um, I just sort of summarized what she said and put it into yeah, to clarify yeah so yeah. Nina said um, that she thought often fraught inverted commas was a bit negative to be honest um, 
I guess I wanted to see often fraught sit alongside something about solidarity, but I guess you'll talk about that, which obviously we have. Um, I guess I'm romanticizing the history. I was always taught about the relationship between the two communities. I'm thinking of my parents who are involved with loads of other Jewish people who campaigned door to door alongside Caribbean folk in London in the 60s for the first Race Relations Act. Um, she says, Jewish Londoners. My mum and dad joined CARD, the Campaign for Racial Equality, which mm. was founded by the Jew Jewish lawyer, Anthony Lester, who founded the Runnymede Trust. The campaign ended in the first Race Relations Act. It occurred to me this morning that one of the reasons for the worsening relationship could be that Jews have become more white over the decades meaning they've lost their allyship at the same time as increased their otherness of blackness or distance, I guess she means from the black community. You, that right. was something that I'd found in reactions to sort of questions, the private messages that I got from people. There did seem to mm. be a real um, distinction between Jewish people who class themselves as left-wing and, and Jew, you know, who were very, very upset at the idea that black people and Jewish people, you know, the people who are in the two separate communities, not the guys sitting on the intersection, why they don't get along or even the suggestion that they don't get along. Mm -hmm. They were really, really upset by that. And it did take a lot of conversation and a lot of teasing and sort of saying, well, hold on a second. Are you really going to ignore like 2015 to 2020? Um, what was going on in the newspapers and stuff like that. And I think a lot of people who consider themselves to be left-wing Jewish people found that their voices were just drowned out completely in all, not just in politics, but in all these kind of areas. And they believe that a lot of what they had um, achieved and what they had done had just been completely suppressed. Um, like there's a very famous Jewish woman called Hetty Bauer and she lived to 108. And that is my, one of my best friends, that's his Nana. And uh, there was a video that came out of her marching along Cable Street with her daughter, which my friend's mum. And so she was uh, an activist for years and years and years. And I don't know um, what, you know, political persuasion Nadine and Lara would say that they have, but do you find that's an issue? Like there's a big, because I think what happens is, just to explain more clearly, like when you're not in the community, often from outside of it, you see it as a monolithic community. And I think a lot of people do not realize the Jewish community is not a monolithic community in the same way that black people are not. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, was it Nina who who wrote that message? Yeah, yes. because I think she's, yeah, I think she's she's definitely right, and it's it's good that she's um, actually kind of emphasised that we do we do forget where, and it is particularly on the left. I mean, I, I think to some degree there's been some on the right that have worked particularly relatively well together. I won't name their names, um, but. Um, we do forget that there has been a history of um, activism, left activism, um, where Jewish people, black and, and other ethnic minorities have actually come together. It tends to be around causes, though, which is really interesting. Um, and I think we could go a lot further than that. And also, I think, and I guess this is kind of also connected to the understanding about Jewishness, Judaism, the faith, etc. Where actually, what we've done is we've read this covenant with the big guy, and part the covenant is getting to a promised time. And that promised time, or people call it, we promised land. That promised time is actually where no 
no disadvantage, no discrimination, no oppression lives, okay? Um, and that's where you get the whole aspect about tick on alarm and also aspects around combating social injustice. And so you will see quite a lot of Jewish people in the fields of, for example, human rights or activism, etc. because that's, that's essentially what we believe that we've been, that we're here to do. Um, so we connect really, really well with people with those passions as well. Um, but I think also what we can't escape is that even though sometimes we can work alongside each other that still doesn't mean that we understand each other and it's that understanding that bit that we need to really really get to if we want to make that next step yeah I think that was sort of reflected in a couple more of the other questions that we had yeah um but I found doing this that a lot of uh, private messages that I got were from black people and you see it kind of what has happened recently with um, Wiley and a couple of other black people who've lost jobs over, or lost platforms and stuff like that, it has made um, black people frightened to talk out. And then they, it starts refeeding into anti-Semitic tropes. So yes. I was trying to say, oh, well, why don't you just ask the question out loud? It's like, don't say my name. Don't, I don't want my name saying this, but at the end of the day, people can say what they like. Uh, Wiley was taken off platform, so it shows that Jews are powerful because Wiley was taken off absolutely everything. So there's, there's that. Do you understand what I mean? I mean, Nadine, what would you say to that? I think basically one of the issues that, that has arisen when it comes to tackling anti-Semitism is that it's become a bit of political football. So... Um, people who are racist will claim that they care about Jewish people and then will tackle, uh, will claim to tackle anti-Semitism really uh, vehemently so that, you know, they'll push for deplatforming, et cetera, et cetera. They won't do the same for other forms of racism. And I think this is one of the things that I struggle with the most is that, you know, you had people when Wiley was going on that parade who had been part of, you know, implementing the hostile environment. You had um, MPs coming out who had, you know, actively follow a really racist prime minister. So one of the issues is, is that anti-Semitism, as in America, you know, Donald Trump will claim to, to love Israel and he's not an anti-Semite, <laughs> but he's clearly a white supremacist, right? So you have this issue where a lot of people that claim to care about anti-Semitism and may make objective changes like getting Wiley or, or contributing to Wiley being deplatformed aren't actually anti-racist anti at all. And instead they see anti-Semitism and Jewish people as a way of kind of virtue signaling and as a political tool, I mean, Jews were, were used as a political tool throughout the 2019 election by conservative and right-leaning right, uh, right pundits, despite the fact that people like um, Britain First were claiming they were going to join the conservative um, leadership, and, and that's literally a white supremacy. So I think what the, the, the issue is, is that, you know, you have people that are racist that will claim to be tackling anti-Semitism very vehemently, which means you feel like you have a bigger response and a harder response to someone that's being uh, anti-Semitic versus someone that's being anti-Black. And, and I understand why that ma makes people scared to talk out on these, like to ask questions. Yeah. And it does feed into these. And, and I also think that's part of the racist plan there to make people mistrustful of Jews in some weird way in that making people too scared to ask questions and making people almost fearful of Jewish people is also part of their long game if that makes sense yeah it does totally. it's, divide and rule yeah it's part of understanding contemporary anti-semitism it's it's very complicated and because it manifests itself kind of everywhere and because it's so 
it's hard, it's so embedded in European history and in European culture like this has been going on for thousands of years that it's really hard to be able to tackle it in an effective way and if you don't understand it then you can't and I, I hope I'm making sense it, yeah, but, yeah, exactly. that, exactly. that, yes. should we come Aisha do you want to read up the next the next comment which was somebody sure um this one says when are white Jewish people going to stop using anti-semitism as a shield against valid accusations of racism and finally acknowledge that they whilst being Jewish um, their whiteness still comes with privilege I mean, I had um, a few questions about this and also last year throughout the blackface in comedy thing, um, I yeah. commented on it quite a lot publicly. And I did notice that when people were writing to me about this blackface in comedy, they would talk about two Jewish comedians. And I found, I, what I said to these people, like, if we know who the Jewish comedians are, right? But both of these Jew, two Jewish comedians, comedians had non-Jewish comedy double act partners and whenever the people would talk to me about the blackface they would talk to me I said why are you talking to me about that Jewish guy over there and that Jewish guy over there and those guys don't work together why are you not telling me about that double act and that double act but you're telling me about the two Jewish guys and I think it has been a case of um to that the answer to to that question I mean I'm not a white Jewish person I can't speak for them obviously there are people out there who only care about their own community. So there are, you know, you will see people go, how does it make sense to be gay and racist? There's lots of uh, white gay men and women who are racist. There's lots of gay people who are transphobic. I think people can't find it hard to understand that you could be in a minority yourself and still be able to discriminate. And I think when it comes to, um, um, white Jewish people I have got a white Jewish friend who said to me she more than one actually I've got about three four white Jewish friends who said to me don't call me white even that gets yeah. upset like they mm. like, not white though I'm Jewish it's like you are white and we I guide them gently to a mirror and show them <laughs> I think, like, literally like I'm not white but I'm not white but it does come from that whole um it, it's white supremacy because white supremacy yeah being so historically vile to Jewish people. There are white Jewish people that don't want to call themselves white. So I think um, Bonnie Greer had written an essay about it. And I think she said for the purposes of, you know, speaking about relationships between uh, black people and Jewish people, we have to call it white presenting then or something. Uh -huh. And I think that's why for me, the arguments that I've seen come back against it is why white Jewish people will argue against, um, you know, having privilege because of their white skin, is because they don't want to call themselves white. That's but what also I'm there must be, a, sorry, I was gonna say, there's a distinction between, obviously you can, having been Jewish and suffered and suffering anti-Semitism while still being white, there's nuance, isn't there? But there is a distinction because you don't know if you come across a white Jewish person in the street that they're Jewish. And so therefore most of their interactions, unless the other person knows they're Jewish, is informed by their skin tone, right? Yeah, and also whiteness as a concept, as we understand it, is it's really, really arbitrary. And when it was created yes. as <laughs> colonialism, it was never European whiteness was never designed to include Jewish people in that sense. If you think of it as like an ideology rather than like a, a, you know, pale skin. I mean, in ancient texts, black people, you know, Ethiopians don't refer to black people, they were as black people, they refer to as being Ethiopians. 
the idea of black and white and all that kind of stuff came during colonialism and during that period Jewish people were always seen as an ethnic other who were being you know systemically exterminated but that doesn't mean that their skin the fact that they have white skin doesn't mean that they're not white it just means they're almost like a, diff a white other they're an ethnic other but they it, they do benefit from white privilege in that you know unless you're wearing a kippah or you're like an ultra-orthodox oh. Jew walking around with like pale and a black hat or whatever then you know you will benefit from white privilege and I think a lot of Jewish people I've spoken to about it because there are Jewish people who white Jewish people I speak to about this who are very understanding of what I'm saying and like yeah you know I have white skin but I also don't feel white in the sense of what whiteness even means and then you'll have Jewish people who are like I'm not white even though I'm Jewish I'm just not white and I think it's important to kind of I just think people need to understand whiteness more and what it is and I think if everyone had a good understanding of what whiteness was then these conversations wouldn't need to necessarily happen as often if it was like education and white supremacy it's interesting what, what we're leaving out here though is the role that Christianity has actually played with, with the concept of white supremacy and whiteness. It's like we're trying to kind of like tiptoe around it and we really shouldn't be because at the end of the day, um, part of the growth historically has some roots in Christianity and, you know, we, we kind of, you know, keep skirting around that and we probably shouldn't. Um, which is which why I'm raising it is then kind of playing into the concept of Jews being white and the whiteness and being seen historically as other um, part of it is to do with the religious difference and mm. and kind of the, the history of Christianity in relation to to Jewish people um, we shouldn't that you know we could go into kind of like a big thing around that and probably haven't got time for it but I think it's quite important to acknowledge the historic um, roots of of even just the expulsions and even in terms of from the time of William the Conqueror and the whole aspect about forcing Jews to be money lenders and some of the tropes that came came in there. Um, and also in colonialism when Christian colonizers would go to um, Africa or you know force Christianity onto people in the colonies or even in you know when when um, the when, when, when Europeans went over to America as well they kind of forced people to convert and to become Christian and that was also part of white supremacy in that kind of lens that that was what was civilized and if you weren't kind of white and Christian you, that was uncivilized yeah exactly can we go on um Aisha to the next there's of three questions in one from yeah, from the following questions are from Catherine Gardner. Um, so she's asked, how can we start to build trust and bridges between these communities for those who aren't both, obviously? Um, how can we convey and understand that white supremacy impacts both communities and it's not either or? Uh, do you want all three of the big ones? Or? Yeah. Yeah? yeah um, if we are white functioning, we're back to that point, Jews, how can we understand how our white privilege operates in relation to black folks? Uh, how can we welcome in a real way black Jews or black people in general who may be interested in Judaism to explore and engage? And how can we have honest, respectful conversations to work towards coalition building? How can we identify and understand that we share parallel and common oppressions and work together and yet recognize that white privilege may be in the room? So Lauren, can I, can I just throw that I just, over to you guys because um, we've kind of covered some of it already and yeah. just want to see... Like, what do you guys want going forward, really, which is the whole purpose of this conversation, to answer Catherine's question, sort of? I can't, do you know what? I'll be honest with you, I can't answer Catherine's question because 
that re that requires a bit more of a community response rather than just looking to for example me to give you that that answer i'm not a white functioning jew i don't know what specifically what you need to do within yourself to move forward and i think that's kind of some of the questions that um, in terms of growth and learning that they have to do if i'm honest with you what do i want i just want to live i just want to be I just want to just be able to kind of be happy to be a black Jewish mother raising a black Jewish child, but also having an environment for him where he's going to thrive. I'm going to have to have two talks with him. I'm going to have to have a talk with him about anti-Semitism, sometimes coming from people who look like mummy. And I'm also going to have to have a talk with him about being a young black man in a very white world and sometimes being in white Jewish spaces where they're not going to be welcoming of him and equipping him for that. So I guess it's kind of like people want me to give you the answers. All I can do is tell you what I would like and be able to just be able to just live without having to kind of wake up every day and think, what bit of oppression am I going to have to deal with? Who am I going to have to fight with today? Who am I going to have to rant with today? It hurts my mental health, I have to say, and I have to raise a child at the same time with it. So to some degree, I can educate as much as possible, but I also need people to do the growth and work themselves as well. I hear that. I totally understand why you'd be exhausted by it completely because that's how I feel a lot of times when people just outside of, you know, just black issues where they will just write to me or inbox me and I'm just like, I'm not your teacher. I'm tired. I just want to watch Real Housewives. Kenya's crazy. Like that kind of, that's all I want to do today. Um, Nadine, did you have any response to what Catherine said or do you feel the same way? Because it's just important as, as well, because obviously um, Lara's from the Jamaican um, you're not mixed race in any way, are you, Lara? But Nadine is, so you have... Hard oh, no, no, I'm, I'm proper hardcore Jamaican. Yeah. I would tell you about your clot. I would have told Emma about her clot if, you know, she would have, it would have been me, but anyway. Yeah, so um, I'm, my, my, my grandpa, my, so my dad's parents raised from Jamaica. He was born here and my mum's white. Um, so for me, I think, I think the, the, it's education fundamentally. I don't think you can understand any uh, a people or a person's pay a people's pain unless you understand their history so i think fundamentally the basic thing is education i think if everybody were properly educated not just on you know um this kind of surface stuff but the long-term stuff you know con con colonialism what it did to black people how it's affected like, a lot of people don't even know that the reason there are black people in the caribbean is because of slavery like that's just a basic thing that loads of people yeah. don't even know so understanding the kind of and the way that it was actually genocide what happened like complete communities were just destroyed so understanding black history and understanding displacement and the diaspora and um, for, for, for white jews that they, they should understand that that would be a really good way of jewish people starting to be able to understand the black experience and the things that we have in common and also just reading about statistics and things about the windrush and just how hard it can be to be black in the uk you know demo, like when, even when it comes to things like education or black women being five times more likely to die um, in hospital, things like that that don't affect Jewish people that are obviously a part rooted in white supremacy, but white, white Jews don't experience that because that's just a part of having white skin means they're kind of insulated from that. So I think education is a fundamental part of it. Um, I also think better community leadership. I, I personally don't particularly like the Jewish community's leadership very much, most of it anyway. You, you don't, Nadine, why is that? 
Um, uh, anyone that follows me on Twitter will be well aware of that. Um, but I also think there isn't, in the black community, we don't really have leadership, kind of coherent leadership. I've spoken to quite a few black people about this and it's just kind of like we're all over the place and there's no kind of like coherent kind of group. I think, um, it's, uh, but, but you know what? Yeah, but you know what? But that's the but, the, but this is the thing. Um, so I think it's I think it's a lot easier for the Jewish community to have a community leadership. It's not so so easy for if you like the Black diaspora in Britain to have one community. Leader. So, for example, and I've noticed that what people tend to do when they do talks, etc., is go to David Lammy. He is not our community leader. Okay. Uh, he doesn't he does not represent the various range of views right across the black british community because we we come from so many different lenses etc so we don't have one organization or for example like a jlm um to to kind of hold those conversations so we've got to think a bit a bit more creative it's basically if you're Jewish and you are looking for leadership, you all follow one book, you all read the Torah, you all have one, you know what I mean? But with, in the black community, we're Muslims, we're Jews, we're Christians, we're nothing at all. We have all kinds of different beliefs and it's absolutely impossible to get like one person who I think is, is going to... But that's kind that. of a... The I think thing. Going forward, for me, what I'd like to see, what would be nice, which probably a lot of black people might appreciate, is if anyone's watching can facilitate the fact that um, maybe having synagogues, like the way mosques have open days, where you have, or you reach out to the black community, or you have young black children, or you reach out to 100 black men of London, because they go around and they take the kids to all kinds of different places to learn. Maybe one of those places they could go could be to a synagogue. And they could but you know... Yeah, but the thing is, there is some there is some interfaith work that actually goes on, um, and and quite a lot of the synagogues are really really um, proactive in that. But clearly, that's an, an interfaith thing. Um, I think, in a way, we probably have to kind of like push really hard if we're going to kind of really make any difference. So we talk about educating now, unless we can join together to do, for example, things around decolonizing the curriculum, so that both our shared histories and both our histories is actually integral as a mandatory thing for our young generation coming up in particular around our histories and understanding that to be able to understand where all the different tropes come then that's fine the but the early aspect is is that um there's that thing where the people who want to learn will learn the people who need to learn won't necessarily learn and it's kind of how you know I don't want to be autocratic about it but maybe there are some things such as campaigning together on some of those key things to make some things mandatory like changing the national curriculum so it teaches I about mean, that British I mean, history and British Jewish history. I think part of the colonization of the curriculum as well is even the way that we're taught Jewish history. It's very through like, oh, Britain helped the Jews. And actually we don't talk about, you know, what the Europeans actually did to Jewish people over millennia. Instead, we just see it as like, oh, you know, well, Britain came in and, you know, saved the Jews and so did America. It's like, no, actually, you know, Britain, Britain was actually a really horrible place for Jewish people to live. Like they were treated very badly. And um, that's just something we're not taught about. We're taught a very sanitized version of history. Well, there's a pattern of, you know, there, isn't there? Because it's like... Yeah. 
they will go, oh my God, Britain came in and saved the Jewish people. It's like, well, hold on, what about what you did? And we have it in slavery. We yeah. are the one to abolish slavery. You're the ones who started it. Say it with straight faces. Ending things that you started, do you know what I mean? My white I granddad will say that to me on the phone. My white granddad, who's really racist, like he's horrendously racist, he will say to me on the phone, the amount of arguments I've had, I won't even repeat some of the stuff he said because it's that bad, but he said to me, you know, well, we're the ones that got rid of racism, uh, you know, we're rid of um, slavery. And I'm like, no, granddad, like that, that just, first of all, slavery still exists. Second of all, like, you don't get credit for stopping doing something. <laughs> Started, yeah. His head, he's like, and then he comes out with stuff like birds of a feather flock together. And then I'm like, granddad, but what about me? Like, you're, what, you're, your daughter's white and my dad's black. So what does that mean? And then he can't answer. So he comes out with all this racist crap. But he's a very interested interesting insight into the way in which education can shape a person's views on a deep level about race if yeah. people thought you know he says oh you know look at africa it's like you know it's not very developed it's like you know that and i say but you'll see them as the savages but surely europeans going in and just massacring and enslaving everybody that's actually savage behavior savage. and then he doesn't know how to compute that because he's not been taught history from that lens and then suddenly he goes all quiet so i think education is like a really important part of all of it yeah well, mandatory get your um the name of the interface things and I'm going to um, programs. I'm going to start looking for some. And when we post up the video, I'm going to put underneath it um, places that people can look. Um, Aisha, what was the next question? Or was it? Um, so next we have a question from Ben and he's asked, what can we take away from the experience of the US? What similarities and differences are there between the UK and the US? And we've covered some of that. We there. have really um, the civil rights uh, movement yeah. and also and a lot of people don't sort of realize, you know, like the KKK actually wasn't formed for black people in the US. It was yes. actually formed for Jewish people and sort of how they came together. I'll put some links in underneath the video of where people can go and do a bit of further reading on that if they want to, because we have kind of covered it a little bit. Um, and what's the next one? I would, say the difference is, I would say the biggest difference for me when it comes to white supremacy in America and here, first of all, like white supremacy in America, is like a British export in many ways but second of all in America you have a settler state where you know black white people and black people were just kind of put together and then black people were freed and then they had this system of oppression here you had an island mainly of white people and black people immigrated so you have this sense and I see it with my granddad because he's white and he's quite racist he sees the UK as being kind of um we civilized yeah we accept them like we we allow them here first word that came to everyone's mind because we're constantly being told that we're being tolerated exactly so my granddad sees it as well you know we 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 let them in after world war ii to come in the, you know the wind we allowed them here whereas in america you don't really have that because it's then none of them were originally there like it's all as a result of colonialism and, and it's just a mess so i think when we understand white supremacy in america and here we need to kind of see it from a lot of white supremacists in the uk see the uk as a white country like an indigenously white country and therefore black people and asian anybody that isn't like white and christian don't belong here which i think in america it's slightly different because nobody was none of them were really there apart from native americans prior to colonization so i think that's a big difference between the two yeah i agree well there's the other there's the other difference that in terms of the relationship between black and jewish people so we always allude to the civil rights movement for example etc um we don't then talk about what happened after the civil rights movement and and why things such as um the uh tension for example in new york 
why that happened, why some um, white Jewish people were seen as that, that um, greedy landlord type of thing. We haven't technically had that here in Britain. So we also need to kind of remember about how, when we're talking about things like such civil rights, the thing that happened after that in terms of the relationship between black and Jewish people is very yeah. different to how things happened here. I mean, they, they speak about the golden age um, between uh, black people in America and Jewish, the Jewish community. And there is the landlord thing. And James Baldwin wrote extensively on it. And he wrote about hating Jewish people as he grew up, hating them, hating them, hating them. Because he would say this Jewish guy would always come along to collect the rent. And we were living in these um, awful, rundown, shack, disgusting places. And they'd tell him about it. He wouldn't do anything about it. And it's only when he got older, he realized that the Jewish guy didn't even own the thing. He was actually just employed to go into the black community and take the rent from them. And there was a lot of stirring and it was actually somebody else who owned it. And there was, after the Civil Rights Act, there was a lot of divide and conquer. And there was a lot of people trying to break, break the two communities apart. And a lot of black people felt betrayed by Jewish people who had, um, who were white presenting, who seemed to be like, hey, we're out of this now. And kind of, a lot of them felt left behind. Cornell West speaks about it um, quite a lot as well. But I will put some links into the comments so that people and, can- and and there it connects with our conversation earlier about the 2015 to 2019 period. Yeah, absolutely. The manipulation and the exactly. being used as a political football and a, a face of, yeah. Um, did you want the last one, Ava? Um, oh, gosh. Uh, was the yeah, about, uh, I mean, yeah, it's quite interesting, right? He is quite interesting. Yeah, this is a guy called Zachariah Abdullah Musa. Oh. He's Nigerian and he's Hausa and Muslim. Um, go yeah, on. So he says, I only met two black Jews in London. One is a British black Jew who is Ethiopian and Amara descent teacher who worked with Jewish communities in Ethiopia to teach people English. While the other is a British black Jew who is Nigerian and Igbo descent architect who helped donate Jewish books to Jewish communities in Nigeria and also designed synagogues and libraries for them. Um, both told me that their ethnic groups have had a strong, intimate relationship with Jewish communities for many years and are still going today. This is applied to other ethnic groups in Africa regarding the special relationship between ethnic groups in Africa and the Jewish community. Why is this narrative not documented in our black community? And can we learn from those ethnic groups in Africa to build solidarity with Jewish communities? I think it's, um, uh, Lara touched on it earlier, like yes, I'm sure this guy sent this question. I didn't even know there were Nigerian Jews. Me neither. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. And, and do you know what? And I, I would love it if one year for Black History Month that people actually explored non-American Black history um, and actually kind of thought about the different places that we come from and the different types of black people that we have, such as Black Jews. Like, wouldn't it be amazing to kind of learn about a variety of different kind of um, groups that that exist alongside us to even just be able to understand that that they are um, it within right. within the black community as well. And I think that was part of my thing, definitely during the Wiley thing, but um, in other scenarios as well, where it really felt like black people did not know that black Jews existed, and it felt like that we were really really invisible. And I remember I wrote some tweet about. Um, BLM UK and the way that they 
I think it was the way that they treated um, treated Nadine, to be honest with you, um, in and how they did not come to defend her, but they just kind of left it um, because, you know, they were taking quite a political position on something. And I have to say, and to any of my, my black community that's out there, some, that really, really hurts. The fact that I can be in community with you. I'm, I look like you. People are oppressing me from all different angles. Yet sometimes you do not even recognize that me as a black Jew actually exists among you. Um, and sometimes you even go to white Jews to actually explain some of these things to you. You don't actually kind of bring us in. I think that's something that needs to change within the okay. black community as a whole. I will commit to doing it this Black History Month then. We're going to look at all the different black communities um, for October. I'll put something together and reach out to all different types of black groups um, that some people may not have even heard of. So if anybody wants to make any contributions or help with that, I will make sure I'll do that because we're not going anywhere. Is that there are literally Jews everywhere. Like um, I was, I gave a talk at Le Merge, which is like this Jewish conference they have every year. Um, and I just gave a talk on fighting racism, the Jewish community fighting racism. And one of the fundamental thing is that there is basically, a, a, there are Jews of every single ethnicity and background, like, you know, there's Indian Jews, there's uh, Yemeni Jews, there's Nigerian Jews, like there's Jews everywhere. So I think it'd be really good to kind of explore, you know, not just the black Jews that, you know, in America, like people tend to think of black Jews in New York and America, and then that's it. And then it's just, you know, um, Ethiopians or whatever. It'd be nice to just explore the community overall, because there's, honestly, there's Jews absolutely everywhere in the Caribbean, Africa, like America, like everywhere. Okay, I will um, highlight the black ones uh, for October. Um, just go on, Aisha, with... We've what? got just a little bit more. Um, he also asks um, a couple of questions, actually. Um, why is there a division within the black Jewish community in the UK? He recalls um, attending an interfaith meeting a few years ago where there was one orthodox black Jew and one liberal Jew who didn't get along due to politics and social values. I mean, I assume that Exactly. I mean, I'd answer that by saying there's probably divisions in the black Jewish community. Yeah, the, in the white Jewish community, the Yemeni Jewish community, community right? Black community, full stop. So I'm yeah. sure that... Saying, they're, saying it's like, they're saying it's like two Jews, three opinions. Like Jews, yeah. people, yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> um, so I put it... Put well, it out there, but I figure we can answer that. I think that's yeah. okay. Um, he also asks, should there be a black Jewish group that can act as a central core to build a bridge between black and Jewish people in the UK? I heard there is a group called the Federation of Black Jews in France who does that work across Europe. It's an interesting oh, question. It feeds back into what we were talking about earlier about having community representatives or leaders, which is... I think there's space for it. I, I definitely think there's space for it. Um, I think it's just also remembering that we're a minority within a minority um, and kind of the capacity of all of us to, to be able to do that. But it's definitely a good thing to explore, I think. Yeah, I thought that was quite a good also, idea. That's an interesting point. Recently, I've been kind of worried about like safety points of view as well, just because you know, if you're Jewish, white supremacists hate you. If you're black, white supremacists hate you. But if you're black and Jewish, like, they really hate you. And, like, yeah. my, 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 <laughs> eight square. No, it's true. 
And like, my mum sometimes says to me, you know, she, she just worry about it because, and you, particularly if you see things like in America at the Capitol, the way that they stormed it. And, you know, I've, I'm on some neo-Nazi list of Jews and on it, they're like, they talk about the fact that I'm black and that I'm also Jewish and stuff. And there is just kind of the safeguarding perspective, like part of it as well. Because it, yeah. it, it is scary because, you know, you feel like you've got a bigger target on your back if you're both because... Mm-hmm. You know, you feel yeah. like one Sony, one See, people. do you know what? I don't, I don't, I actually don't feel like that, Nadine. And I don't know whether it's because I'm born and bred in Hackney. And so we've always got that kind of fighting. Like, I'm ready, I would be ready to, to meet you in Tesco. <laughs> if no, I'm not, I'm not having a, a fight. Well, I'm, I'm you fighting. know what I mean? <laughs> but I'm down I, I guess, I, yeah, <laughs> I guess it's, I guess for me, it's, it's, do you know what? Growing up black for, for so long, I'm not going to tell you my age. Um, is I've already kind of developed that, in a way, that thick skin in relation to not being afraid, um, particularly growing up in Hackney in the 80s. Like, anyway, so I, I guess I don't feel like I have that double target in my back in, in, in that sense. And every time I'm kind of thinking about this, I'm also thinking about what I have to teach the little one as well and so much of what I'm trying to teach him now is for him to be very very proud don't hide himself if he wants to show that he's Jewish he's allowed to do that I'm not going to to suppress that and we will be able to deal with it in ways that need to be to be dealt with and I think sometimes we just need to give ourselves a bit of strength to not hide ourselves away we've hidden ourselves away for so long I agree. Like I don't. I, I for me, it's like I'm very openly. I very openly speak about being black and Jewish and stuff like that. I just and I. I, I think it's really important. But when I think about organisations and stuff, I do. I just worry because it. It. It were a very easy target, you know, because terrorist attacks are happening. We saw it happen in America. Um, and if you are black and Jewish and outspoken, and it's quite easy to to find you really, or to find. I think I understand like, what you're saying. Like you do, yeah. obviously, you're happy to talk about it. You do speak about it. You write articles about it and stuff. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> you're just not going to drop your location. I get that. Yeah, <laughs> I, get, I get, I get, I get, like, I get, I get, uh, I get like stuff in my inbox as well. Like I had some really graphic things said about my parents in my in my inbox oh. and stuff like that. And then obviously I got stalked by. So it's just it's just one of them. It's like I do want want to have kind of more like maybe community leadership, but also in establishing some sort of leadership, you do kind of make yourself a kind of target. target. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree with you. And the thing is, because I I don't talk online about what I get and I'm also on this on similar white supremacist list hence why I do not I'm not visible to most people some people have seen me the majority of people don't see me and that's been because of the white supremacist thing but also because I need to protect my child so I do get I do get what you're saying there definitely okay and and Zachary one last the the last one yeah is a is there a narrative issue on who are the true people of the Torah regarding black and Jewish people because in the black community, there are some black Hebrew Israelites that would believe that black people are the original Israelites and cause anti-Semitic remarks towards Jewish communities. Do we need to address the history narratives among black people in our community in terms of origins and heritage connection to Hebrews and Israelites? I think this comes, comes back to down black- to education, you know. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think we can escape it from anywhere else. I'm... The Hebrew Israelites thing, I try not to step yeah, into. Yeah, I mean, 
really because i mean what they need to do is find some better representatives because honestly the ones at seven sisters station are not, not it, right? <laughs> at the end of the day like honestly i can't even get into conversations about those guys i don't go and stand near them because you will get drawn into their nonsense there is something on youtube of me shouting and screaming at these people i mean i would say i mean my friend is so funny she's from america and they're much bigger over there and they described the black Hebrew Israelite guys as being yard swole. And I was like, what the hell is yard swole? <laughs> and she said that they were in prison, on the prison yard, prison yard, working out, and they're really, really buff. So you'll find like a lot of them are nice to look at, not nice to talk to. Like, they don't even call themselves black anyway, so I'm not claiming them. I'm sure- Not today, like, Satan. Like, you know, some of them are fine, right. stand there, take your top off, don't talk, don't say anything. Not interesting. I think the black people Israelite stuff comes from as well, because I did a podcast about this last year, and I think it also comes from the kind of, particularly in America, the displacement of black people feeling like the history was stolen yes. from them from the slave trade. So they feel like, these black Hebrew Israelites think, okay, well, maybe we were the original, the true Jews, and then the Jews, then it starts to go down to a line where it's like, the Jews controlled the slave trade, and actually, they stole our religion. And it gets all very weird about it, and I think it comes from a place of trauma, which is another reason why it's really important to kind of debunk a lot of the black, what the black Hebrew Israelites say, because first of all, Jews can be any colour, so there's no white Jews, and original Jews weren't white because they were from the Middle East, so the whole idea of like white and black just doesn't fit in that colonial period language that we're using but it does come from a place of trauma and genocide when it comes to why these black Hebrews like say this stuff so again as Laura said I think it's education yeah and, and to, to be honest with you I don't think it's the trauma that they're suffering now where they're they're going into it I, th I think I'm, I feel a bit more uh, dispassionate about them because they're always often telling me about how I'm not Jewish so it's like <laughs> screw you a lot of you them are very, very very rude <laughs> and ill-mannered and i would just like to put that on record stop shouting <laughs> right okay i'm so sick and tired of it like they know me now like i was walking they knew from seven sisters to king's cross and i was walking they went ever ever and i was like oh, oh, why? who gave you a travel card why are you there you have no oyster how did you get here like, okay. um ladies well Ava, how do you think I feel when, when they're calling me and they want to talk to me about it and then I have to say to them, but I'm Jewish, and they're like, <gasps> Don't get sucked in. That's the, the advice I can leave you with. Do not get sucked in. We have overrun and been black as hell. This is supposed to be a woman's hour, black woman's hour. Um, black woman's and hour. we did that. We did um, a black woman's hour, which is like an hour and a half, four hour and 45 oh, yeah. minutes. It's actually a black woman's black hour. Woman's this hour. is a black hour. The and black the is hour. Black as hell. All right, we can be on time. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I, like I said, I'll put some um, reading material below. If you guys got anything that you want to say, um, you forgot to say or anything, just message me and we'll get it up. So that has been our first episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And uh, we will be back next week speaking about something else. We don't even know what yet. We don't know. All right, then. Thank you to our guests. Thank uh, you. Monroe, Thank you. Bachelor Hunt. Thank you very, very, very much. Thank you. Bye. Love you. Bye. 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 Bye.